Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we continue our discussion of the Star Trek The Next Generation novel, Q Squared, by Peter David. And first, can I just say that after we recorded our last episode, I had a vague niggle of an old memory and recalls that David suffered a series of strokes last year and is having ongoing health problems and his wife is raising money to pay for his medical expenses. So we put a link to that in the show notes last week. We'll do it again this week and we'll keep going with that because I feel like we're getting content out of his work. (laughs) We kind of owe him. Yeah, and medical expenses are... The fastest way to bankruptcy here Woo! in the USA. <laughs> so please give generously. Thank God you live in freedom. Also, as I was editing last week, I was like, are we being too hard on this novel? Are we being unreasonable in our judgments? And then I mentioned in a group chat that we were doing an episode or a series on an acclaimed and beloved yet misogynistic Star Trek novel. And my friend Sarah instantly went, oh, it's Q squared. (laughs) Oops. Mm. I mean, look, so much... I love, but then things really leap out at you and it's like, oh no, yeah, cringe. And I was reading about the paranoid reading. Like you have your good faith reading where you assume the author is acting in good faith. And then you have Mm -hmm. the bad faith reading where you assume that they're not. And then you have the paranoid reading where you're looking for faults. You're looking for things to criticize. And I don't want to fall into this trap because I do think that as much as this book is representative of systemic societal flaws, I also really love it. So I just want to want to put that out there that I, I'm in no way saying Peter David needs to be cancelled for Q squared. No, no, definitely not. I have quotes <laughs> in my notes <laughs> and I have quotes that I'm going to say, what were you thinking? Mm. And then I have one particular quote that I have literally stolen and put into my fanfic multiple times. Yes, yes. For more than one, like, universe not even just star trek not even just picard crusher but like completely separate (laughs) storylines i have used this one kernel yeah because it's it sticks with me all these years it's i understand exactly what is going on and it's the perfect representation of what i want in a couple yes i just want to flag that i don't think peter david single-handedly invented misogyny out of nowhere he is a product of his society and his generation and I think he's a really good writer of action adventure with a lot of character and a lot of heart and he almost can't help the society that made him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, let's talk about Tommy Riker. <laughs> oh Tommy Riker. We open the book back in track A in which 
we meet Tommy Riker and the events unfold from his point of view. He is the son of Deanna Troy Riker and Will Riker, who has been a POW for these for his entire life. His entire life. Yeah. His entire life. Tommy Riker's never met him. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he is a kind of terrible child who gets into fistfights with betazoids and yeah i'm gonna go right to my little thesis statement here that tommy is spock yes i saw that in the notes please explain (laughs) so there's a you know a spock character in every version of star trek Mm -hmm. right which is the outsider the person who is caught between two worlds and and has to like learn to navigate and and be comfortable in his own skin right and in more recent versions of Spock, where we see the younger Spock who grew up on Vulcan and was straight up bullied by terrible Vulcan children and got no support whatsoever mm. <laughs> from his father or any other Vulcans and unconditional love from his mother, but she was one person and every other person in his life was telling him that she was wrong to yeah. be doing that. And I feel like that's exactly the same situation in this book where Tommy, who has no empathy like Deanna and no telepathy like Waxana or any other Betazoid, is stuck mm. growing up on Betazed where everyone can just creep into your mind at any time to the point where that is culturally correct. Yeah. That there's no boundaries for Betazoids. And he can't do it back. So they instantly consider him a lesser being, just exactly the same way that the Vulcans think of Spock as something beneath them. And he is just, he's set up to fail completely. And like, there's this one point where it says that he's not a great liar. That he's a lot of things, but he's bad at lying. Yeah. And I'm like, of course he's bad at lying. He lives in a culture where you can't lie. And lying would be like completely useless to him because everyone be, would know immediately because he doesn't have any of the defenses, any of the mental defenses against other people. Like maybe Deanna is definitely seen as, as able to shut off her mom and say, you know, mm. stop that, get out of my mind. He doesn't have that because he doesn't have any of the mental capabilities. So I, like, ride for yeah. Tommy Riker. <laughs> Nothing that happened on that school, you know, school ground fight was his fault. I am completely persuaded by your argument. I have always loved Tommy Riker as a character. I think David is really good at writing kids. And Tommy is just the perfect mix of a blend of his mother and father and also his own self and also a product of his culture and that he's introduced having just come home from punching a a betazoid kid means he's not a prissy perfect little boy you know sometimes wesley is written as too good to be true Mm. that's not tommy Riker. tommy Riker is a rough and tumble kid and i also really like that the text makes it clear immediately that even though both Loaxana and Deanna are reprimanding him for the school fight and explaining to him why Mm. his behavior was inappropriate, both of them are also on his side. Yeah, yeah. His family is supportive. I feel like Loaxana is supportive of Tommy in a way that she probably never was for Deanna. For Deanna. 
Loxana is one of those classic great-grandmother, terrible mother characters. Right, yes. <laughs> and, you know, if you've read Hugh in Law by Peter David, which came out a few years before this, you know he writes an outstanding Loxana Troy. Yeah, she's barely in this book, but she makes an impression. And I just, I really, like, again, it's like an exchange that is maybe two pages, but mm. her relationship with Tommy just leaps out at me. And I can extrapolate everything that happens from that introduction. And because Loxana in this timeline is so very much herself, it's all the more shocking when we see Deanna. And she has short grey hair and is really tired in a way that track B Deanna, Canon Deanna, rarely gets to be. Mm -hmm. And it's shocking. Grief has, has aged her. And yet she's still a great mother and she is apparently starting to date the, the guy she was betrothed to in the next generation. So, you know, we were talking about perpetual widowhood last episode. That's and right. Deanna <laughs> is preparing to move on. But as soon as she mm. makes the, the first step of maybe it would be okay for me to see someone else immediately, <laughs> Riker returns. Yes, yes. Why Amazing. cannot catch a break? <laughs> I really love the Worf-Troy relationship, which, you know, this, this book came out just after All Good Things, like within a couple of months of that airing. Mm -hmm. And it's set mid-season seven. So the Worf-Troy relationship is a going concern in that timeline. And obviously in this timeline, it's not a thing. And yet Deanna and Worf have this instant connection that kind mm -hmm. of makes Deanna feel uncomfortable. But I'm not, I'm not mad about it. Put it that mm -hmm. way. Well, Worf, again, a reminder from our last episode that Worf is not Starfleet, not even really Klingon hmm. for me, whatever, but is a vigilante on a mission to destroy all Romulans as revenge <laughs> for his family. <laughs> and this is like a side quest yeah. to return this human that he found while destroying Romulans. <laughs> But he takes it very seriously because he's Worf. He's still very Worf. Yeah, he's yeah. completely loyal to Riker, not knowing Riker at all. I kind of love that he's mm. instantly like, I got to get this shell of a man, mm. his family. And only when I've reconnected them will I have succeeded. Yes. And spoilers for our next episode. It doesn't go well. <laughs> so Worf has to stick around for a while. Which is great, because I do love this version of Worf, and I kind of wish we saw more from him. Because yes. the way he takes one look at Riker and goes, I don't know you, I don't understand you, I cannot begin to imagine what you've experienced, and we have absolutely nothing in common at this stage, but I am going to protect you with my life until I'm certain that you're safe. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where I, that I love in alternate universes where these characters are not themselves, but they still have the same connections. And I think that's what makes Q Squared a particularly great multiverse novel. Which I guess brings us to the matter of Beverly Howard and Jean-Luc Picard. And I cannot believe that we didn't spoil this for the anyone who hasn't read the book in our last episode. But before her divorce from Jack was finalised, they totally had an affair. Like... <laughs> 
it is as explicit, explicit. <laughs> as, as explicit as a Star Trek novel of the '90s could get. Probably less so than Inzadi, but like on that spectrum. And it's beautiful. <laughs> we have you guys my favorite part of this. <laughs> That's next episode. But this is where this is where the kernels, these are the seeds. Mm, they're coming, mm. and I love this. Beverly, she is also tired. Yeah, and put upon, and and not as sparkling mm. as even the Peter David version of Beverly that that we get in in other canon. But she's funny. She's like wry funny. Yes, yes. She knows who she is. Yes, and what she wants, and she doesn't apologize for it ever. Whereas Picard seems very passive in their relationship both then and yes. now. He happens to run into her in the later years of her marriage and he just accidentally kisses her. And somehow it's described in a really passive way. Picard doesn't seem to be making choices here, even though he obviously is. His main choice okay. is to feel bad. So I have this written down because this is it. This mm. is what I've stolen yeah. more than once. Yeah. So let me pull it right up. The sudden mutual realization that the reason they'd had such difficulty talking to each other was because talking was not what they were interested <laughs> in doing. Their bodies were quantum leaps ahead of their minds. I have paraphrased that in so many fanfics. I mean, it really does capture that particular kind of relationship. And my favorite guy. Yeah, yeah. There's a line where it's like he didn't expect to have a torrid affair with his best friend's wife. And I, as you remember, I was 13 when I read this and I was like, oh, oh, oh. I mean, and I basically like read that whole section where, with the flashback to their affair and their relationship on the Enterprise. I like memorized that. I think I copied parts of it out into my diary. It was probably... It's amazing. Yeah. The fact that it was in a novel that was sold, that I could get from the library. This wasn't like a few years later when I found fic on the internet. Like, that was very clearly made by fans for fans. This was official. Someone signed off on this. Well, it's okay because it's an alternate universe. But again, I'm so excited for next episode. <laughs> anyway, but okay, so they had they in the past they had this fling that mm. was a very deeply emotional fling, but it was still a fling because mm. it was like clandestine and they didn't like communicate about what they their goals were, or what they wanted, and then he literally ghosted her. <laughs> He just, did. Just away he went. You know, he basically begged himself into a far away mission. He gave her the we'll always have Paris treatment. You might say we'll always have Laris. Well played. How long have you been practicing that? It literally just came to me as the word Paris came out of my head. My Amazing. <laughs> I'm so proud. Amazing. I love it so much. Okay. And yeah, so again, you know, obviously this book was written in way long ago, mm -hmm. long, long ago, 
But I kind of love the fact that in this universe, he goes to her, and in our universe, she goes to him. Like, I, I approve. Yeah. Here, she shows back up as the CMO, and she's Jack's ex, mm-hmm. and she knew that John Luke was there, and she's John Luke's ex, too, but she wasn't afraid of that. And he totally is, but also he's like, this is going to happen anyway. Yeah. He goes immediately to her. Like, there's this inevitability about yes. them that is just catnip for me, that mm. they can't avoid it even if they want to. And I love that she is so forward and that she is always the person who is yes-anding him. He initiated that clumsy kiss, but she's the one who turned it into a real kiss. Mm. He came to her quarters, but she's the one who tells him to stay. Yes. And, again, it's a different variety of Beverly because Beverly is usually the one who's putting the brakes on. Mm. Whereas this Picard has had his confidence completely destroyed by events of the past and he really needs Beverly to be assertive and I think that's part of why he's so drawn to her that she has the confidence that he is only just rebuilding now. And there's this other passage that I need to highlight because it's the crux of their relationship, not mm-hmm. only in this timeline, but in every timeline, <laughs> which is, it was at that point in his life that Picard, in fact, had it in his power to be happy. Yes. That he could stay with her on Earth, mm-hmm. that he could stay in Starfleet together, be outside Starfleet together. They could do whatever they want because he was at a low point in his life. She was at a low point in her life. Literally anything they do is going to be, uh, you know, on the rise. It's, yeah. it's going to be better over there. So let's go do it. But the second part of the quote is there was something fairly significant preventing it, however, mm. the guilt. Mm. And that it always comes back to that, that regardless of what timeline they're on, there is this guilt, mm. this shame between them that prevents them from being happy. I think that's why I like their relationship. Exactly, exactly. And I love it. It is the best thing ever. I love every single thing about the Beverly and Jean-Luc relationship in any timeline, Mm. in every timeline. I love them. I love, so spoilers for Star Trek Picard. I was literally (laughs) about to go there, but go on. So Star Trek Picard ends with a very ambiguous reading of their relationship Mm. it is not clear you get to decide it's a it's a choose your own adventure version of closure in that there is no closure it's they're together but are they together we don't know (laughs) and i am not angry about it because that has always been their relationship and the fact that they're ambiguous relationship in the next generation resulted in a son (laughs) means that their ambiguous relationship it doesn't matter if they never talk about it and they never like decide if they're together they're still together (laughs) (laughs) because they can't not be they have it in their power to be happy but something fairly significant is preventing it and i (laughs) will never get over it No, and I love, I love relationships that are like, we have loved each other forever, but something is standing in the way. Whether that's guilt or professional ambition in the case of Lorca and Cornwell, 
or professional responsibilities and guilt in the case of Janeway and Chakotay. They're still the loves of each other's lives. Yeah. Regardless of the baggage. It's so powerful to me. It's like this, mm. you know, soulmate connection that, that you can't connect. Yes. <laughs> like, that is every relationship. I want. Definitely not personally. But <laughs> oh no, God no. <laughs> I mean, maybe personally, I guess it's kind of what I have. So to take it back to Star Trek Picard and the ending of that series, on a representation level, I hate that that is where Seven and Rafi have wound up. I think that is a step backwards in terms of depicting queerness in Star Trek. And I think that's a real problem as Discovery comes to an end. But at the same time, if Star Trek Legacy becomes a thing, to have it led by two women who have the Janeway Chakotay thing, the, the Kirk Spock thing, the Picard Crusher thing, for my id, that is really satisfying. I just, I'm gonna need some out and proud queer characters elsewhere in the cast to make up for the, hey, we turned your text into subtext and we're very proud of that. <laughs> Thing. I've written a post that I will that might be published by the time this <laughs> is out where I explicitly request mm. queer and specifically transgender characters yeah in Star Trek Legacy so maybe we'll link it yeah because I think the problem is not telling that story it's telling only that story and right yeah but to take it back to a book with no queerness whatsoever because it's <laughs> oh, 1994. I have, I have a quote about that too, but it's not in this section. <laughs> but we're going to get there. <laughs> so the thing is, your next note is the beginnings of how this Jack Crusher is the worst. And the thing oh, is... Oh, good. We're in that section. Sorry. <laughs> Continue. Picard and Beverly have this tremendous guilt that they're having an affair, that... You know, they're not single-handedly saving Beverly's marriage. But if Jack really wanted that marriage to be saved, he would be on earth with his wife. That's what I... Like, I'm he would sorry. be there. Yeah, yeah. He has this meltdown mm. in 10 Forward that is... I hate him. <laughs> no, I, I just... The entire time I went to, like, shake him and be like, it's not about you! <laughs> <laughs> His feelings are valid, obviously. His feelings about his dead son are valid. His feelings about his lost relationship are valid. But he makes it entirely about him, and I just hate him. Mm. And he is another character who, like Picard, is acting like he has no choice. That his marriage right. just mysteriously ended for some <laughs> reason. Oops. Right, like midway through his meltdown, he says something like, I should have been there for her. And it's like, yes, yes, yeah. Jack. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. right. He should have been there for her. Like, he threw himself into his career and it's just like, you are gross and I hate you. <laughs> he has this realization, but he doesn't follow it to the next level of like, I could be here for her now. Right, right. Like, if you actually want to have a relationship with Beverly, maybe attempt to have a relationship. Mm. Mm. Instead of whining about it. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel really bad for Picard, who's sort of getting it from both sides in this relationship. And Jack doesn't seem like a particularly good friend to him. Like, we hear how he stood by Jean-Luc and all of that. But Jean-Luc was also left alone on Earth. Right. So when I said that they were at a low point. So Beverly is at a low point because her son 
her three-year-old son died mm. and then her husband left <laughs> that's mm. for a low point mm-hmm. and Picard is at a low point because he lost the Stargazer and was court-martialed over it and was demoted to commander and he's basically poisoned. Like, that's Mm -hmm. when I said he had to, like, beg for a position so he could get off of Earth. He literally, like, I don't care where you send me, just send me somewhere. He has no choices. Mm. My favourite detail of that is that he has to go to Boothby because none of the official people will... Right, will will even listen to him or even take take the take the call meeting yeah so they're both in the, in this terrible place and it's like i can extrapolate that jack was also in a terrible place because he mm. also lost his son mm-hmm. and he also lost his ship yes <laughs> and so he's in a bad place too but the thing is that whereas picard and beverly support each other <laughs> yes through it jack leaves them both mm. And focuses entirely on his career. Yes. And I understand that that's a coping mechanism, yes. but I still hate him. It's just such a cliche white straight man of a certain era coping mechanism. I can't have feelings, I'm just going to focus on my career. I totally get that. And I am certainly that. wholly not convinced that he's not also having an affair. Oh, absolutely. Like, easily. He yeah. is having an affair <laughs> off on his shit. Possibly multiple affairs, because there is a yes. whole conversation about what a fuckboy he is. I hate him so much. When I wrote out our notes, I had to add in that this Jack Crusher, because I was like, <laughs> he doesn't get to go anywhere near my precious boy. No, no. The perfect man. <laughs> Jack Crusher. This is, like, bad. This, this is the... No. I hate him. <laughs> I'm sorry that I keep saying that. It's been a long week, and I just need to rant sometimes. Honestly, I think if you've been a Star Trek fan and a Next Generation fan for a long time, it's actually quite cathartic to go, actually, no, Jack Crusher was maybe a bit shit. I'm sure that the guy that, in just, our the time, one in book, yeah, yeah, Maybe the one in the show, but not, not my boy. No, no. I feel like the <laughs> only problem with the show one is that we never find out why he's so interesting as to be Picard's best friend. Right, we we know nothing about him. He's a yeah. he's a like he's an event Picard. He's a manic pixie dream husband, dead husband, <laughs> manic pixie dream dead husband, <laughs> and best friend. Yes. So, okay, can we talk about the queer representation? Now? Please, I would love to see what queer representation you found. <laughs> it is it is not actually queer representation. I was it is, going to it say it's terrible. It is the worst. So. Beverly and Jack have this, you know, they're Picard's there too. So like Beverly and Jack are talking and they're sort of, you know, it's weird because they're exes and they have this horrible tragedy between them mm-hmm. and, and it's all, you know, messy and everything. But he says something nice to her because I guess he can pretend to be a good person every <laughs> once in a while. And we have this exchange. Mm. For the first time since she arrived in the Enterprise, Beverly Howard smiled at her former husband with unfeigned warth, warmth. Unfeigned warmth is something different. Very different. <laughs> unfeigned warmth. Okay. <laughs> her line. <clears throat> Thank you, Captain. That's very sweet. Are you this charming with all your chief medical officers? And he responds, quote unquote, rather gravely. Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, a couple of the men have complained 
Although one or two were genuinely flattered by the attention. <laughs> and uh, my note that I like literally wrote into my copy of the book was lovely homophobia and sexism right here. Mm, mm, mm. Gay people might exist, but they are the butt of the joke. I hate him. <laughs> like, no, I I, it's going to get worse. Like this is the, this is only the beginning of how terrible Jack Crusher is. But, and I think that the reason that I hate him so much is that I want to like Jack Crusher. I want mm. the Jack Crusher that Beverly loved, that Jean-Luc loved, that they mm. named their son after. I want him to be a good person that I mourn. And this guy is not that guy. In this section, Trelane tells him in the entirety of the multiverse, he is the only Jack Crusher. And I'm like, well, good. Clearly, <laughs> the universe was onto something. The universe was right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And like, it's so, that's so interesting. What Trelane says is, what a lonely soul you are. Yes. And I'm like, dude, that is amazingly interesting. Let's, mm. let's tease that out and think about that. But it's because he's horrible. He's awful. <laughs> by the end, he is irredeemable. He's not irredeemable mm. yet, but by the end, I don't care that anything bad mm. happens to him. Also, I think that there's a question there of whether how much his, let's say, negative character development is because of Trelane. Not just mm. Trelane's conversations with him, but Trelane manipulating his mind directly. Oh, yeah. Definitely, I th if I recall, there's like a, a point, there's like a, a violin string snaps or something. Yes. And like yes. he goes crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So yes, it is Trelane, but it's also, he's a womanizer. Mm -hmm. Like canonically, yep. he, he's proud of being a womanizer. <laughs> he is homophobic. <laughs> he is not a good friend mm. to Jean-Luc. He almost has trapped Jean-Luc in being his number one. Like, yes, yes. Like, if I was Picard's friend, I would be like, you know what? If Starfleet doesn't want you, go find somewhere else that does. Mm. Because you're a good mm. person. And you have a lot to offer. And if you're not getting it here, then someone else is going to be willing to get it. And mm. that is not what Jack does. Jack's like, oh, I will make you my number one and I will keep you subservient to me forever. It definitely feels like that kind of toxic friendship in a way. And... I don't know if that is just it, but it's like, well, Jack has so much cachet with Starfleet. Why isn't he, you know, pushing Picard right. to, to his colleagues? Why right. is he keeping Picard by his side? By his when, side. I don't know. Maybe Picard wants to be there, but it just it doesn't feel like a, a, a reciprocal friendship. And he manipulates Beverly in the same way. Yeah. And... I'm I just I'm not here for that. No, no, I think I think you're right because he wants to keep Picard by his side and he deeply resents that Beverly has a life of her own without him. Has moved on. Yeah. Like that Beverly was capable of becoming the CMO without his help. Yeah. He resents yeah. that. <laughs> I definitely didn't really like Crusher when I was reading the book as a kid, but I I wonder how much of this is intentional setting the seeds for his later fall and how much is just this is what this type of male character is like in 1994. I agree I am curious about that. There's this one line again in that 10 forward scene mm. where let's see 
Crusher was a good man, a solid leader, one in whom his crew was able to take confidence. Mm. But socializing, partying, chit-chat, these things were not his forte. And I read that and I was like, so you're talking about Picard? Yes. <laughs> so are they supposed to have switched in this timeline? But like, it's they haven't because Picard is still Picard. Like yeah. Picard is is canonically Picard despite being in a different circumstance. Like yeah. he still acts like the person we know. And so was this Jack Crusher? Jack Crusher was a good solid leader, but not good at socialization. That seems, it's a weird, interesting detail where I was like, what does this mean about this character? Like, what am I supposed to be getting out of him? And it seemed to only be there to set up the scene of Jack Crusher's not supposed to be in 10 forward because that's not where you usually find him, but he's mm. having his meltdown in public. And like, Picard has like a, a panic attack about Jack Crusher's meltdown. Mm. It's, it's a, a hard scene to, I get really, I have a lot of emotions about everything that happens because I get really angry. I, I feel sorry for Jack because again, he tells the story of his kid's death and it's horrible, mm. but he seems to take all the wrong lessons from everything that happens. And, and again, it's entirely focused on him. It's like your kid didn't die because of you. Like it's, that's not what happens. You can't make your kid's death about mm. yourself. I think it's very significant that in this timeline, the Enterprise doesn't have a counsellor and it doesn't have Guinan. In a very neat little detail, track A and track C both have Guinan and track B has Karen Johnson, which is Whoopi Goldberg's real name. But there is... Wow. Yeah, yeah. I have thought that was tremendously clever for many years. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. very clever. And she is just a nice lady who works at the bar on the Enterprise D. She she doesn't have guidance. I, I picture her as being played by Whoopi Goldberg, but without the hat, without the superpowers. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So there is no one in that role on this ship, which very badly yeah. needs it. It very badly needs it. Like, if anyone needs a counsellor, mm. help these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, okay, let, I mean, we should move on, but I, I have a lot to say about mm. this a terrible person that I want to like. <laughs> I feel like Jack, as he's written here, feels like he could almost be Lorca. You know, he has all the traits of Mira Lorca just in there under the surface. He's a womanizer, mm. he's ambitious, mm -hmm. he uses people, he manipulates people. And so maybe... Jack Crusher is Prime Lorca? I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with that. I just suddenly pictured him <laughs> played by Jason Isaacs and I'm distracted. I just think that there is a particular type of masculinity that people associate with the starship yeah. captain. And yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, that's so weird. I think we see it with Captain Shaw in Picard too. Not that I've watched Picard yet. What are you flailing about? No, that Picard himself, Jean-Luc Picard, is mm. actually a... Uh, what's the word? He's evolved from that. That's who he used yeah, to be. That, yeah, right, yes, that he's moved out of that. And that he. Then that's why, you know, and uh, Janeway's my captain. But mm. Picard is the, you know, quote-unquote best captain because mm. he's moved past that. Yes. And all of the others have not, including Janeway. You're my favourite. But God, if Janeway was a womanizer, I would be so into that. Anyway, um... 
problematic. But it's also Fan and Kirk. Like, I'm re-watching the original series and Kirk is so thoughtful and intellectual and restrained. But yeah, over the years, he evolved into a type, a different type of character. And that's the masculine woman. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It says a lot about the audience. I think it does. And I think about wider social expectations of what a man in power behaves like. You know, you think of the people who voted for your former president or the backlash against Picard himself for being a bald middle-aged intellectual when he first right. appeared. There's still a word. What is the word? It's a, it's a, a subversion. Yes. Picard is a subversion of this trope. Yes. And yes. I appreciate that. And I think that that's why we mm. got this Picard series with Patrick Stewart in his eighties because people responded to that idea. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I want to say before we move on from Picard is that there's an interesting parallel between Picard at the lowest point in his career and his life and Rafi at the beginning of Star Trek Picard. He doesn't have the substance abuse problems, he's more engaged with society, but I actually think they have a lot in common. I do, I agree, I think they have a lot in common. And I, you know, I have... I've come around to, I have to admit, my name is Annika and Star Trek Picard is my favorite Star Trek <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I apologize I am to sorry. everyone and every series. <laughs> However, I have to admit that I love everything about Star Trek Picard, even the things I hate. <laughs> I just have to own it. That's who I am. But... The one part of Picard, now having seen all three seasons, mm. Rafi's journey is actually kind of amazing. Yeah. Rafi gets a good ending that hopefully is not her ending because mm. I, I really, really, really want her to headline the next one. I am mm. all about that bridge crew. Every single person on it is the best. But Rafi doesn't change, but she does grow. And finds the people who are going to support her mm. regardless of everything mm. like Picard ghosted her too yes. <laughs> and, it's and what he does he comes back and Rios left her like everybody mm. leaves her her family and then in season three she she hooks up with Worf not that way but she <laughs> hooks up with Worf and she gains her own confidence mm. And then everyone sees it. Yeah. Like, I want to see Rafi in Star Trek Legacy almost more than I want to see Seven and Jack. And Seven and Jack are literally my favorite <laughs> characters in Star Trek. But Rafi's growth throughout those mm. three seasons, and it's so short, it's only 30 episodes. Mm. And she's barely, like, she's not even in every episode. And yet, it's really beautiful. Her journey is so beautiful, and I'm so happy for her and I that's why I just I like go from here because you finally got to like equilibrium and now you can mm. rise mm. and let's go Rafi and that's kind of Picard's arc in this book too in yes. this timeline and but you know not to like spoil the end but by the end he's absolutely at that place where Rafi is where yeah. like people are like okay we were wrong about you yeah he is not only stronger than he was before but people recognize it people want to be seen that's mm. what people want you know 
And I feel like Rafi was hidden in the shadows for her entire career, if not her entire life. Mm. And finally, people are seeing her. Yeah. It's and great. it's like, I just, I'm going to cry. Mm. <laughs> so, can we very quickly cover Data the Human Oid and Nurse Geordie? I, I mean, just, like, I don't actually, I don't really under, even understand the whole human oid. It's thing. like a positronic brain in a human body, but where did that human body come from? I just have like, so yeah. many questions for Dr. Sung. And apparently this is like a Federation-sanctioned thing, so I think this timeline may actually quietly be the darkest timeline. But I love Nurse Geordie. I love Nurse Geordie so much. <laughs> I love his origin story. Yes. That he just spent so much time around medical people and nurses were nice to him and so he wanted to become one. That is such a beautiful thing. We see him, like, gently pushing Chief Engineer Argyle, who in this timeline is an amazing woman. A cranky Scotswoman, which I'm very into. Just sort of charming her into sickbay to get her baseline physical. And he is so good with women. He is charming and respectful and he is a character you want to hang out with. And Beverly knows it. Yes. Like, she sends him to Argyle on purpose because she's mm. like, go use that LaForge charm. And I'm just like, mm. oh, oh, Jordy deserves this. I want a whole series of Dr. Beverly and Nurse Jordy saving people. It's so precious. And I love their relationship. So Jordy accidentally walks in on Picard and Crusher. Oh my god. Picard, totally, and Howard. Yeah. Picard and Howard's hooking up and he's like, so that happened. And he's like not gonna mention it and she's like, look, we're old friends. We had a prior relationship. You know, we got together again. It's a thing. And he's like, I will I am, you know, I I will be your wingman. Yeah. <laughs> like don't worry about that. Everything's gonna be great. And he does it for the rest of the book and I just like that's like, yeah. I really love that they're, I, I love their relationship in canon that we don't get to see that often, but when we do get to see it, it's actually very strong. And I also really like that they brought that back in Picard. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that they cared about that relationship. So yeah, Nurse Geordie forever. Absolutely. Team Nurse Geordie, Data can come too, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I'm going to, because... I, I don't think we're going to talk about Picard. If we are, it's going to be like a long way from now. I would give it a few weeks. I think I'm a few weeks away from watching Picard and I will have stuff to say. I have been very mean to Brent Spiner yes. <laughs> in previous seasons of Star Trek Picard. And I would like to say publicly that his data is good. That <laughs> <laughs> I, I really loved how he played data specifically data and i particularly loved that we got the Jordy and data scenes that we got because they were i didn't know i wanted them until they happened and then i was like oh my god this is why i didn't like data's death scene <laughs> like i didn't like data's death scene because i wasn't with Jordy. like now it all makes sense from nemesis through Jordy has not been there until now it was a gift it was a gift mm -hmm. that i didn't even know i wanted mm -hmm. Let's talk about track B, which seems to be mainly where the plot happens because track A was still largely setting up that universe and putting all the pieces right. in place. Track B is where Trelane is uh, kind of being the worst. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I know that we just call it Jack Crusher the worst. Charlie is actually the worst. I am shocked that the villain in this book is doing bad things. This is an outrage. <laughs> call the police. I mean, okay. So Trelane <laughs> is a literal mustache twirling, like, literal yeah. mustache twirling villain. <laughs> to the point where Q seems like a totally normal guy in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. Mm. And you actually are, like, upset that Q gets sort of murdered. <laughs> yeah. Apparently you can't kill Q because he died and yet he's back in uh, canon as well. <laughs> so. Yes. Q is killed at the end of this track B session, but has already resurrected himself back in track A at the beginning of this right. section that we're discussing. So there are timeline shenanigans. It's timey and it's wimey and I love it. Yeah, and I will say this is where Peter David really shines. Oh, yeah. Seeding things mm. in previous chapters and in alternate timelines that come into fruition in the oh, other yeah. ones. It's, yeah. it's very well, the multiverse is very well done. Oh, yeah. I would love to see his notes and his planning process for this book because I do not believe that he sat down at his 1990s word processor and just started typing one day. There were probably charts involved. And if he still has them, I would love to see them. Anyway, poor Professor Martinez continues to be in what the greatest gen guys would call the ball kicking machine. She dies as well. First, she's terrorized by Trelane. So that's nice. Death might have come that's as a relief. Lovely. Yes. And then she's dropped down a turbolift shaft like. Dr. Pulaski in L.A. Law. It actually made me wonder, because that is so iconic, if mm -hmm. we're meant to picture Diana Mulder right? as Thank you. Martinez. That's all I could think of. I felt so silly saying it, and I'm so glad you had the same thought. <laughs> no, 100%. That is, that is immediately what I thought of. And she's brought back to life, quote-unquote, because <laughs> Deanna Troy basically goads... Trelane into bringing her back mm. but he doesn't fix her he just brings her back to life and so she's like a shell of a woman who's been beat up and horrible and and Beverly is like okay we're gonna go try to fix this <laughs> it's something like Beverly's eyes go wide and then she immediately jumps into okay I'm gonna fix this problem <laughs> mode and I appreciate that I'm glad mm. that Peter David understands that Beverly is very competent mm. but yeah it's horrible it's really, ugh. everything Martinez continues to be bad. I mean, this book gets very, very heavy. And I think the scene with Martinez and Trelane in the turbo lift shaft and then Deanna afterwards is... Yeah, the Deanna stuff is super dark. Super dark. Again, Peter David is not responsible for all of misogyny, however. <laughs> he chewed gently on her lobe and then whispered mm. very softly... Mm. No. That's called sexual assault. She did not consent for that. Mm. We think it's so funny when Q gets up very close and whispers in Picard's ear, but it's kind of not. Picard does not consent yeah. to anything that Q yeah. does. Like, Picard doesn't want that either. No, no. Nobody wants that. No. Janeway doesn't want that. Picard doesn't want that. Cisco doesn't want that. Jack Crusher doesn't want that. <laughs> and certainly... Deanna Troy absolutely does not want this. She she's described as being terrified mm. and afraid for her life. Yeah. 
Uh, it is horrific. I am going to take out a restraining order against the entire Q continuum. That's how we're going here. I approve. But I will say that power of life and death looks good on Deanna. I, I, I think, you yeah, know. She's good at it. Yeah. 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 Both Deanna and Picard come out pretty good. Oh, yeah. In their resolution of the Trelane problem. In this section. They do well. Yeah. yeah. In this section. Trelane attacks Guinan in what I think is a horrifying and clever way in that he simply mm. scoops her up and drops her outside the ship. And she's beamed back in and is mostly fine, but like that's that's scary. That's scary. That's some good writing in terms of coming up with a horrible thing to do to someone. Trelane's whole deal mm. is that he can like Q has this too, but Trelane takes it to the next level. Mm. So Q's whole deal is that I'm in charge and I can do whatever I want and none of you can stop me. Mm. But Q actually like has boundaries. Like, I know we just said that he doesn't and that he whispers in Picard's ear and it's horrible and that no one wants Q and he, no, mm, no one mm. consents to Q and that's true. But Trelane is worse. Yeah, I think there's a difference between whispering in Picard's ear and getting too close and actually nibbling on Deanna's earlobe. Like, yeah, that's the exactly. difference. They're both bad. Trelane, it's a matter Trelane of crosses the yeah. line. Yeah. You know, Q goes up to the line and sort of blows on it, whereas mm. Trelane crosses the line mm. and it's terrifying and it's also like but Trelane is constantly referred to as a child yeah and children yes yeah so that there's a reason that that the criminal justice system has different rules for juveniles and mm. you know again it's not used very well <laughs> here in America and so like I'm against most of it and Trelane is constantly referred to as not even a teenager, but a child. Mm, yeah. It's like an 11 year old. He's an 11 year old with ultimate power. And Picard's solution is simply to ignore him mm -hmm. and let him throw his tantrum and go away. And in some ways that provokes Trelane into worse behavior, but mm -hmm. I don't think Picard could have known that. And also what are you supposed to do in that situation? What is the option? And Picard doesn't even realize that Q has been quote-unquote murdered at this point. Right. So in a way, Picard at least gains time to think yes. about the problem. Yeah. He at least gives them a fighting chance. Which flips us over into the section called Track Service, and that's where I stopped reading. Page 215 of the paperback, which is in my hand right now. <laughs> I want to bring up one more thing in the Trelane section. Yeah. And that's the beaten but not defeated. I just saw that quote. as I was flipping through, and yes. Which is a direct callback to Trelane's mm. episode in the original series, The Squire of Gothos, where Captain Kirk explains that while they are beaten, they are not defeated, and that that matters to him. And it, I mean, first of all, it's a very Kirk thing to say. <laughs> so Kirk. So Kirk. <laughs> but I really, again, Picard as a subversion of Kirk. I really like that, that mm. Picard was like, yeah, that's mm. not a thing. Yeah, that's just semantics, <laughs> dude. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I really appreciated mm. that. It was almost like highlighting the difference between Kirk and Picard and how neither is intrinsically better 
No. That they're just different. That Kirk's way of defeating Trelane is proving that there is this difference. Mm. That no matter how much damage Trelane does to Kirk and his crew, he can't destroy their mm. intrinsic never give up, never surrender humanity. Yeah. And that Picard is like seeding they sure, whatever, we're mm. beaten and defeated, mm. but that actually doesn't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> None of that means anything. If Trelane is a reply guy, Kirk is the one who has gotten into the debate and Picard's just going to block him. Exactly. Exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. Trelane has spent a century obsessing over something Kirk said without actually understanding it, and so I just want to propose that maybe Trelane is Star Trek fandom. I was going to say, which definitely makes him a reply guy. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Trelane is the reply guy. (laughs) I really liked that callback Mm. and how it highlighted the difference between Kirk and Picard. And that was just clever. That was a a clever addition. Because you could be like, ooh, fan service. (laughs) But it's fan service with a purpose. Yeah, yeah. And there's a really interesting bit in the foreword of this book where Peter David goes, I have been accused of writing fanish tie-in novels. And yes, I am a fan. And this is a very fanish book, but it's generally not doing things for no reason. Like, right. I, I think David is particularly good at this type of book because he knows when to draw the line and I think for example his earlier book Vendetta failed because he didn't draw the line we don't need to learn how the Borg evolved from some monster in Kirk's era I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion but I like fan service (laughs) I am a fan who has been serviced and so I Yes, it can cross the line and it can become too much if it takes over the storyline. But, you know, I'm going to repeat something I've said many times on this podcast in many different contexts Mm. that I don't think that there are new stories. Mm. All of the stories that are being told are old stories told in new ways. And that is magical. Yeah. That is how stories should be told. Taking something that has been done before and transforming it into something that is recognizable but new Mm. is so powerful to me. And that's why I love the multiverse. That's why I love seeing different versions of the same characters and the same relationships and then thinking about it and, you know, how it all fits together. And so I like nostalgia and I like fan service, but for metaphysical reasons (laughs) instead of instead of like I feel comforted by them Mm. like I don't feel comforted by them I actually want them I want them to be slightly wrong you know I want the nostalgia feeling but like it to be a little bit different like that is the perfect version of reality for me yeah for me nostalgia and fan service are like a dessert And sometimes it's too much and it's sickly sweet and it rots your teeth. But I feel like Q squared is just the perfect mix of sugar and nuts and dark chocolate 
and there's a little bit of substance there but it's also like it's sweet but it's also got a bitter layer it's perfect the very very last page of this book is exactly what you said all of that in one place hold on i'm looking at the last page <laughs> Yes, with. I just remembered. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers again. But I, yo, I love this book the way I love Picard. There's plenty of imperfections, but they're like imperfections in the service of greatness. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm all for it. Can I say that if this had been the plot of Star Trek Picard, I would be so happy. Back a truck of cash up to Peter David's house. And go. Mm -hmm. like, go. Yeah. yeah. Like it can it can happen thirty years later. That's that's fine. Yeah. So next episode, I guess we're going from in the paperback edition, page two hundred and fifteen to Yeah, I think we have two more episodes out of this, yeah? Yeah. Let's go up to derailment, which Ooh. It starts to get crazy, everybody. Oh, yeah. Like, buckle in. To this, page 301 in the, the paperback. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at antimatterpod, and at Mastodon at antimatterpod on the 10 forward instance. You can write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. Join us in two weeks when we will continue our discussion of Q Squared. And it gets really good. Oh yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs>